You're listening to episode 181 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here. And today we're going to be, I want to shine a bit of a light on what it's like to travel full time. Uh, I get a lot of questions about this, especially about Bali in particular. So I'm going to address a few different sides of this and also talk about what it's like when you're trying to get work done while traveling full time as well, because that's a huge part of it. And there can be a lot of issues that can come up that you wouldn't necessarily expect either. So before we dive in, I just want to remind you that if you have any interest in starting a podcast, if you feel called to share your message on a deeper level and to connect with people in a, in a different way, and you have any kind of business, I really want to encourage you to jump over to podcastingforimpact.com and take a look at the podcasting course that I offer because this isn't your typical podcasting course. Uh, it does offer, of course, all the usual tutorials around uh, tech stuff and editing and all that stuff that seems so incredibly scary and overwhelming, but it's also helping you get to figure out what your, your voice is and your message and how to connect with the people who need to hear from you the most. It's helping you to, to figure out how to share stories that can be a little bit more vulnerable too and navigating that line between public and private and getting in front of more eyes, promoting yourself, booking media appearances, all of this is encapsulated into this course. And I've poured everything I know from years of podcasting and being in the online space for quite a while now and giving that all to you all packaged up into one place. So go check it out. I'll make sure to reference it in the show notes as well. And I'm really excited for, to have you on board. Okay. So on to traveling full-time. What's would be kind of behind the scenes of this. Part of this is uh, maybe explaining a little bit of my backstory. So I, for anyone who maybe is new to the podcast, I'm Canadian. Um, I lived in Canada my whole life until about eight or so months ago at time of publishing right now, uh, where I left Canada. You can check out episode 117 if you want a little bit more insight as to the reasons why I uh, decided to start traveling full-time. And Initially, it was just going to be for a few months, and then I was going to go back to Canada and settle not in my not not in the same city where I came from, but somewhere in Canada. And then that has turned into me traveling per more permanently. <laughs> it's not going to be forever though, and I'm going to get into some of the reasons why that is, and kind of explain that to you a little bit because I think it's important to address all of these types of issues that can come with moving around a lot because it might seem glamorous and oh you know these beautiful locations and it, absolutely and I could not be more grateful for these experiences but there's there's more to it than what might appear on social media or anything like that and I really want to pull the curtain back 
to give you the inside scoop on that. I am, I, I always strive to show up as, as honestly as I can to show you the stuff that isn't necessarily the fun part of things. But uh, I think that there can still sometimes be some, some, some confusion on places like social media where appearances can be deceiving, even when I'm striving really hard to make sure that I'm showing you the not so great stuff as well. So there, there are pros and cons in particular to traveling solo. So this is also something that I get asked about a lot. People will kind of question that and, and say, you know, like, I don't know if I could do that. And don't you get lonely? So I get all kinds of questions around traveling solo itself. So let's get into that a little bit. I'm going to list some of the pros and cons that I personally have found. Some of the pros are that when you travel solo, you get out of your comfort zone in a hurry, <laughs> in a very big hurry. There, there's no hiding from it. There's no denying it. You are going to be put out of your comfort zone rapidly. And for anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, I am of the belief that that's a good thing. <laughs> it can be quite scary at times, but I absolutely believe that it is not only a good thing, but it's necessary for all of us to grow is to get outside of our comfort zones as much as we can. And traveling alone, traveling in general, but especially traveling alone is a really quick way to get there fast. Uh, you also really learn to trust yourself. And this is incredibly important because I think that so many of us kind of coast through life, not trusting our instincts and denying our, our gut feeling of certain things that, that we should do or how we should show up and learning to trust yourself. Why that happens so quickly when you travel is because things go wrong and you have to figure it out. There, there's no one else to rely on either because you're on your own. So it's up to you to make it happen. And when you figure it out, you gain a little bit more trust in yourself. You're like, okay, that, that shitty thing happened and I still managed to make it through. And not only that, but I am actually thriving <laughs> afterwards. Maybe not immediately. Sometimes it can take a little longer to recover from a particular issue than others, but overall you can make it happen. And I really want you to gain that trust in yourself. You get to make your own schedule when you're traveling alone too. So you're not relying on anybody else. You're not depending on uh, where somebody else wants to go or what they want to visit or what they want to do. Uh, you, you get to make your own sleeping schedule. You get to make your own uh, work schedule. You get to make your own tourist schedule. Whatever you want to do, it's all on you. You get a lot more comfortable in your own skin and how you show up in the world too. You, this is almost difficult to explain, but I think that part of it has to do with building trust and that uh, traveling solo also builds a huge amount of confidence in yourself. So I think that that's a big part of it is that both of those things kind of lead to you just showing up in a way that displays that confidence in yourself and that you're just kind of more comfortable in your own presence because you've proven to yourself that you can handle hanging out on your own. You can handle navigating different and new areas of the world on your own. And that's going to naturally come through and translate. You're going to feel that in your very bones. Traveling solo, I find, can also tend to make it a little bit easier to make new friends. I have traveled with a partner before 
and you know you can make new friends that way as well especially depending on the types of places you're hanging out or something like that but I do find that it can tend to be easier to make friends when you're on your own uh, it can just depend on the different dynamics and stuff like that I think that maybe if you're traveling as a couple it might potentially be easier to make couple friends potentially but I've traveling solo I've made lots of, of friends who were couples as well so it can kind of go both ways but I personally find that when you're traveling on your own it tends to be easier to make new friends and just uh, meet all kinds of new people in some ways traveling solo can be less stressful um, because you're not really worrying about somebody else and you you've got this if you want to go home in the middle of the afternoon and uh, take a nap because you're sleepy you don't need to again worry about <laughs> somebody else's schedule so a lot of those things can kind of lead to just less stress you get to know yourself on a far deeper level too I never learn more about myself than when I'm traveling on my own and it just comes from navigating those different types of situations and seeing how you respond to certain situations without somebody else you know judging you or anything like that there's nobody to judge you but yourself so when you figure out some of these situations, you can start to get a little bit more comfortable in your own skin. And if you're looking to gain clarity on something, the number of distractions that you can create for yourself tend to be more limited and they'll force you to address things head on, whether you like it or not. To me, traveling solo is a bit of a fast track on the personal growth uh, spectrum, shall we say, because you, you can't really get away from it. There's it, things will come up and situations will present themselves where again, there's nobody to distract you to distract you. There's nobody to um, take away from that experience or to keep you from having the experience fully. And that can kind of feel shitty sometimes when you maybe would prefer to be distracted. But I find that a lot of times when things like that come up, that it's for a reason and it, it's asking you to deal with them. It's kind of your, your body and your mind's way of saying, listen, this is this thing that you've been running from, that you've been avoiding, um, that you have been allowing life to distract you away from. There's nothing else to distract you now. You better deal with it right this second. So that, to me, that's a pro, but some people would maybe call that a con <laughs> and a bit more negative, but who knows? Uh, there are definitely some cons though. I mean, it can be draining um, when you're traveling alone. There's no one to share travel tasks with. So originally when I left Canada, I had a, a totally different travel plan in mind uh, that didn't involve staying in Bali for more than about six weeks. And I was going to do a couple different major road trips in several different countries. And not only did I feel like my energy was pulling me to stay in Bali, but when I started thinking about some of these other um parts of the trip that I had planned, I, I started to realize how draining it was going to be for me and how much energy it was going to take for me to do them on my own. I didn't mind doing them on my own. I, I have no issue traveling by myself, but when it came to things like road trips, it was going to be a little bit tricky because then not only do you not have anyone to share the driving with, so that's a lot. That's a huge amount of energy output right there. You're also having to constantly be researching, you know, your next place to stay, uh, your next place to eat. In, in my case, as an online entrepreneur, where the best internet connections are, there's, there's all kinds of factors that play into this, that when there's only one of you, 
and everything is on you, that's a lot. And I could just tell that I, I was going to be exhausted. I wasn't going to get any work done if I proceeded with that type of trip. So when you do travel alone, I would also just really recommend looking at the way that you plan on traveling and making sure that that's going to be a good fit for you. Some people are more than happy to do road trips on their own. Amazing. But I definitely uh, recommend taking all of the, the potential factors there into consideration. You also don't have somebody to share the experience with and when you travel by yourself. And there's something to be said for that because a lot of times when you go back home after a trip, uh, regardless of, of whether you were traveling with somebody or by yourself, you go back home and people, you know, kind of want to hear about your trip, but overall they've been living their own lives and they don't necessarily care that much. It's like when somebody goes on a trip and wants to show you their 700 photos and you're like, what? <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> like pick your top five and I'd love to see them, but actually no, I don't feel like seeing your 700 pictures, right? Like we've all had that friend who's just been like come back after vacation and they can't stop talking about it. It's amazing and you're happy for them. That's great. I mean, you might be a little jealous too, whatever, that's fine. But <laughs> we, we've all been there, but it, it doesn't translate the same way as if you had someone there to know exactly what story you're talking about when you tell it or to think about that, that really great memory that you have of, I don't know, being on top of a mountain or something, and you're the only one that, that knows it. That can be really beautiful, but that can also be a bit of a downer too. So there's kind of two sides to that. And obviously there are risks to traveling alone, um, especially as a female, you have to have your wits about you. You have to be careful. Um, and you have to have some street smarts and common sense. Like you, you just, you have to, and th this goes for anyone traveling alone, but especially as a female, of course, you have to just be, uh, very aware of your surroundings and basic things like, you know, not walking around at night with your earbuds in. I don't recommend doing that anywhere in the world, uh, especially at night, but it's, it's little things like that where you just need to be aware of what's happening in your vicinity and in your environment. So that's part of it. Let's talk about cost. Uh, this comes up a lot too. Sometimes solo travel can actually be cheaper. Other times traveling by yourself is more expensive. So of course, if you're traveling as, and I'm just going to say like as a pair, you might be traveling with more than one other person and an, an entire group. But for argument's sake, I'm just going to use the example of traveling as one person versus traveling as two people. So if you're traveling as two people, of course, you're going to be paying for two seats on a plane and two meals at dinner and whatever. But as things like accommodations go, whereas double occupancy, which, you know, most places are kind of standard, you're going to pay the same price as one person as you would compared to two, right? Because the, the hotel or the Airbnb or whatever, they don't care if there's two people staying there or not. It's all in the same bed. So it's, it's the same price right? So that's a big part of it. If you're making your own meals, it can be tough to buy ingredients that will only be for one person. And that can apply whether you're traveling or not, obviously. Uh, but things that you want to buy, like, I don't know, butter, <laughs> you, you can get like kind of small ish things of butter. Um, but if you're only staying somewhere for a limited period of time and there's only one of you, there's going to be certain, Kind of staple foods that you would want to purchase 
that you're maybe forced to buy in larger quantities, but you'll have a really hard time finishing that just as one of you. Some people would say that about things like heads of broccoli or something, but I could probably polish off a whole head of broccoli myself. So I'm not gonna use that example, but for some people that would certainly be relevant. Um, in terms of how I plan out travel and make it work. So when, when I'm kind of in the planning stages of a trip, I, I research everything. Uh, something that I do first is I will often put Google alerts on flights so that I can try to start to get an idea as to how much they'll be and start to figure out when it would be the best time to purchase. When you're looking at flights, something that you can do is I'll actually investigate various flight options. And what I mean by that is, like for example, if you're flying Bali to Dallas, I'll look up that route in particular, the, the straight through, like Bali is the starting point, Dallas is the end destination. And then I'll compare pricing with bookings that instead go Bali to LA and then LA to Dallas separately. And a lot of times it will be far cheaper to do it the latter way. So especially out of a major uh, hub like Los Angeles, um, it can actually be way cheaper for you to end up purchasing those flights separately as opposed to purchasing it all in one. Uh, for some reason, sometimes they'll just up the price on that. And I've, I've looked up that route before and you can get several hundred dollars knocked off if you look up uh, Bali to LA and then fly LA to Dallas. So that's just one example. And it's gonna depend on your destinations. It's gonna depend on the, the hubs that you're flying out of, all of those things. But I do recommend playing around with different flight options to see how you can get the best deal too. And in terms of tips to save money on accommodations and food, uh, for one thing, cook your own food. So I always, I, I always cook my own meals. The only exception is here in Bali because it's a little bit trickier to uh, source some of the ingredients that I would normally cook with. Um, and sometimes it, it can be so cheap to eat here that it would actually end up being more expensive to make my own stuff than it would be to just eat out. So there, it's a bit of a caveat to that. It depends on where you are, um, but normally in any like more developed country, especially, I will always make sure that I get a place with a kitchen and I cook my own food. Uh, I'll also go out for meals, of course, once in a while, uh, maybe like once a day, but I, I try to make the majority of my food at home and that makes a, a ton of difference financially. And when it comes to Airbnbs, I've, I've used Airbnb so often, um, something that you can do is actually reach out to Airbnb hosts and ask about weekly or monthly discounts if they aren't already shown online too. So anytime you're staying in an Airbnb, um, it is ideal if you can stay for either a week or two weeks or a month, like kind of in those types of increments, because a lot of the hosts will offer discounts if you stay for a minimum of one week. Um, but sometimes if they're not showing any, you can reach out and, and don't be, don't be an asshole about it. Just reach out and say like, Hey, you know, I'm really interested. Your place looks beautiful. Um, I was just curious if you offer any kind of discount for staying for however long, like a week or two weeks or whatever. Um, if not, no problem. I just figured I'd ask. And a lot of times the hosts are very responsive to that. So that's, that's something that you can really do as well. There has been a couple times here in Bali where I got to know a couple hosts really well after already staying with them. And then when I ended up going back to their place, they ended up uh, cutting me a deal because they already knew me really well. They already knew that I was gonna be a good guest, that I wasn't going to cause any issues or be noisy or loud or anything like that. So they actually cut me a deal because they already knew me and trusted me by them by that, by that point too. So that's something else to think about. Um, and again, you know, if the answer is no, fine, no big deal, it's no problem. 
Um, and you know, you can be really polite about it, but it's worth asking, right? Why not? Something else I want to clarify, Bali is not as cheap as everyone says it is. I, there's this like really embedded belief that Bali is so incredibly dirt cheap. And I think that at one time it was. And I also think that there are certainly ways to do Bali in a very cheap way. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are still very much ways to do that. However, um, and, and certain things, especially things like, like spa treatments is always a great example. Uh, you can get a, an expensive massage here is 25 bucks. Like that's considered expensive. Whereas back in Canada, a massage is typically, I mean, I, I would say anywhere between 85 to 120, $125. Um, so that's, that's a significant difference. So stuff like that is pretty much across the board. Yes, much less expensive than what you would pay in North America typically. But overall, the prices are definitely rising here, especially when it comes to accommodations because there's a lot more demand too. Uh, Bali has become a very, very hot tourist destination and it's growing rapidly. Um, there's construction happening so fast here sometimes that you can walk by somewhere on the street and there's a rice paddy and then two weeks later it's like there's a full, a full done completed building sitting there instead. Um, that's how quickly things are moving here. So things are definitely changing, but just like anywhere else it, you travel, it depends on how you do it. And it also depends on what area you're in here in Bali as well. So if you're staying in kind of the more hotspot type areas, just like anywhere else in the world, it's going to cost you more because that's considered, that's a more in demand place. If you're willing to go a little bit farther out, then you're going to pay less. So these are kind of common sense things, but I really wanted to highlight this because we all, you know, everyone always hears Bali and they're like, oh, it's so cheap. And I'm like, it's actually not necessarily as cheap as you think, but it depends on how you manage it. And again, I'm going to bring it back to the food situation is that the other thing that I find here is that even if I get places with kitchens, rarely do they ever have anything included for being fully stocked or like having sort of the, the basic staples included. Whereas when I stay at Airbnbs in more developed countries, they tend to have the basics like salt and pepper and I don't know, olive oil. Um, <laughs> you know, some of those like super, super basic things so that you don't have to go out and buy that stuff. And that's another reason why I typically don't bother trying to make my own food here because I'd have to pour so much money into getting all the staple the very, very basic staples here I, before I could ever even start to cook my own food that it would end up costing me a lot more. If, if I was staying in the exact same place for months at a time, it would be worth the investment. But several times here, I've like moved around a few times and stuff like that. So it just isn't feasible. But again, when I'm in more developed countries, I almost always end up cooking a lot of my own food. Uh, in the fall, I was in Australia um, a couple times and I went straight to the grocery store and spent a hundred bucks on a whole bunch of food. And I ate almost exclusively my own meals for virtually a, a full week. And it was awesome. It saved me so much money for anyone who's ever been to Australia. It, it's quite a bit of money to eat out every time. So I went out for two or three special meals. And other than that, I mostly cooked my own stuff and it was great. I saved so much doing it that way. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about how traveling full time, for me personally, affects my work. 
Um, it, listen, it can be amazing to work from these incredible locations. And yeah, we, we see those photos. Um, I'm sure I've been guilty of posting them since I got here to Bali of, you know, you know working uh, beside a rice field. I, I've definitely been guilty of posting those. Um, posting, with, uh, you know, working beside a rice field, working beside a pool, uh, the beach, all of these types of things. And yeah, it, it's amazing and it is an incredible gift. But moving around a lot for me can bring down my energy significantly and leaves me feeling really drained and depleted sometimes. So especially even if I'm staying, you know, in the same city in Bali, but I move to a different, a different accommodation, it takes a shocking amount out of me, like a shocking amount. Um, I can just move down the street and this has happened before where I've, I've literally just moved down the street and I feel like it's taken over my entire day and I'm absolutely wiped out. It, it's very much an energetic thing for me and adjusting to new surroundings and a new environment, um, it, it, can, it can be more significant than you think it is. And that's something to really take into consideration. Um, I also am having to constantly figure out how to record podcasts in changing environments regularly. <laughs> so that can be a little bit tricky. Uh, it's kind of why I almost laugh when people say that they're worried about recording um, and in their own home and they're not sure how to do it and should they went, rent a uh, recording studio space. And I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm over here talking into pillows and <laughs> just trying to, to make the best with what I have in physical surroundings that are less than ideal. Um, even here, you know, I, I'm in quite a busy city and you can hear motorbikes going by on the street, but I can't control that. There's, <laughs> there's only so much that I can do, uh, but I can still get fairly decent sound quality. It might not be the most optimal, but it's still pretty good. And I have to make do with what I've got. So done is better than perfect when it comes to that. Something that I, a lesson that I learned really quickly, um, there was one Airbnb that I booked that I, I walked in and just had a bad feeling about it from the second I walked in. It just, Overall appearance wise, it was fine and it, it looked like the photos, but I just got incredibly, it sounds so woo, but I just got incredibly bad vibes from it and everything just seemed a little bit off. Uh, I also didn't feel particularly safe there. Like there were locks that weren't working and there, there were various issues going on and I had to get out of there. I, it was, I basically didn't get anything done for the few days that I was there because I would even try to go elsewhere to work, which I often do anyway, working out of co-working space or cafes or anything like that. But I found I was so worried and stressed about having to go back home. It was just sapping all of my energy. So your environment, what I figured out for me personally is that your environment matters a lot when it comes to working. And it's tough when you don't have a good setup. Even just having a really poor workspace in general, even if it's a nice space otherwise, can be hard because sometimes you do just want to work at home. You, you don't want to have to go out. And if there's nowhere to work in your place other than your bed, that's not great. That, that's really not ideal. You know, even from just like a posture and alignment standpoint, that's not fantastic. And you need to kind of keep that space for sleeping because otherwise then you'll start getting, you know, potentially insomnia or you'll just end up napping all day. Like there's all kinds of downsides to this. So you do want to ideally, if you can find a space that at least has a desk or something like that, where you can work from that without 
um, having to stress about not having any kind of decent space. And it's also just really hard being in a complete opposite time zone to most of my audience. It's, it's really tough. Uh, it's absolutely my choice and I'm going to get into that a little bit more. And again, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and the fact that I'm able to be here and work from my laptop and all of those things, but it is a consideration and that may end up being part of my decision to not necessarily stay in Bali for a huge amount of time longer because it's tricky. It's, it's hard to navigate. And honestly, traveling full time gets exhausting. I, I know that I'm likely not going to want to do this for more than another year or so because I constantly have difficulty feeling grounded at this point and I've had to start uh, needing to come up with like little rituals or practices, especially after flying to really try and, and feel more grounded. Otherwise it just feels like I'm like floating and kind of lost in space. It's a little bit difficult to explain, but it's a very unsettling feeling and I, I'm just having to figure this out as it comes up. So one example is that when I get off a plane, I go for a walk as soon as I can. And I also try to walk barefoot if possible. Obviously, if you're flying into a climate where there's snow on the ground, that might not be possible. <laughs> but luckily, usually when I fly in somewhere like this, I've been on a plane for 25, 26 hours, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to go down to the beach or you know you can find a patch of grass to walk on barefoot that's going to be a very grounding practice uh, i also unpack as quickly as possible because i want to just have some sense of my own belongings being around me and um it, it you you kind of need that to be able to settle a little bit when i got back to canada in mid-december for a few weeks i felt tired to my very core like just absolutely depleted in virtually every sense of the word because constantly moving around takes more energy than we realize. It really does. You know, it, I, I hope that I never make it seem glamorous because that's, that's not how I feel about traveling full time. It's an amazing experience and I'm enjoying it for now, but I never feel that it's glamorous by any stretch of the imagination. So I just, I, I really want to shine a light on this because I don't want people to feel you know, envious all the time of people who are traveling the world and doing all these things and whatever, there are downsides. And it's not to say that there aren't incredible benefits, but I just want you to see both sides of the coin here. Dealing with jet lag. This is a big one. Um, I have some very specific things that I put in place and I rarely get jet lag very badly uh, at all. I, I, I'm usually like right back on whatever the local time is very quickly. The one exception I find is going back from like from Bali back to North America is a little bit tricky because it's again like complete opposite and for some reason going back always seems harder than than going forward. So Bali is 13 hours ahead of Eastern Standard Time and when I go back it it just something about the going backwards always makes it harder. So you have to work much harder to overcome the jet lag on the way back. But the rest of the time, I can usually beat jet lag very quickly because I've got some super strict rules. So number one, get on track with local time as soon as possible, as soon as possible. So I can't sleep on planes. Um, yes, I've tried everything. So <laughs> I I when I do the trip from North America to Bali, it's like 25, 26 hours typically, and I can't really sleep for most of that. 
So I'm exhausted by the time I get here. So for one thing, with that in mind, I usually try to plan my flight times accordingly so that I'm getting here either late afternoon or evening so that I can usually just go to bed quite quickly and then just get on local time right away without having to, to stay up even longer. If you can't make that happen, I just really recommend staying up as long as you can and, and as close to whatever would be kind of even a semi-acceptable bedtime um, in the local time. So do whatever you can to stay up until a, a reasonable bedtime. Like I've still gone to bed with jet lag sometimes at you know six o'clock at night, but sometimes if you're extra exhausted, you're gonna need that extra sleep anyway. But as long as you then get up at a reasonable time, like 6 a.m. or something like that, you're gonna get on track much faster. Another part of this is working with sunlight. So I also typically will get up quite early. Try, I try to time it with approximately the sunrise and then go outside as soon as you can. So to actually get sunlight on your face and on your skin to regulate your body's natural clock. Your body is going to adjust to that quite quickly, but you have to give it the chance to do so. If you stay inside all day, you're not going to be able to get the same benefits. So try to get outside and into sunlight as soon as you can to help your body work with its natural rhythms. Something else, hydrate, 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 hydrate on the plane, um, on, you know, before you get on the plane, after you get off the plane, drink as much water as you possibly can. I don't care if you're going to the bathroom every 10 minutes on an airplane. That's, that's often great anyway, because on a long flight, you need to be standing up and moving a little bit whenever you can. So that's actually a really great excuse. It's double benefit. I know it's kind of a pain, but it will actually benefit you in more ways than you think. So getting as much water as you can. I personally don't travel on a full stomach most of the time. I'll eat uh, kind of small amounts, but I just don't feel great. Uh, again, especially if we're talking about a really long flight, I personally don't feel well if I'm traveling on a, on a really full stomach and I can't really move around as much as I would like. And it just, it tends not to agree with me. That's a very personal thing. I don't want anybody going hungry. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I usually try to do is I try to source my own food to take on the flight with me. Not always possible, depending on your location, it can be a little bit difficult. Um, but I try to avoid airplane food if I can, just because it's usually so packed with um, sodium and stuff. It makes me feel like I'm, I'm retaining water, even if I am trying to hydrate with a lot of water. And it just, it again, it just usually doesn't make me feel that well. Totally personal preference, the food thing, but I personally just find that it makes me feel a lot better if I don't do that. And then movement and potentially even working out as soon as you can. So again, let's say you get in uh, seven o'clock at night to your new destination. Go to bed then right away because at, by that point, just about any time after that is reasonable, especially if you're exhausted and get up at a good hour, go outside, go for a walk um, and potentially do a workout right away if you can. That helps me a huge amount. That movement and that working out seems to just help my body to reset a little bit and really sidestep jet lag in a big way. Something I wanted to point out here, I am never more aware of my privilege than when I'm traveling. Never. As a Caucasian, like as, as a white person, a white woman, 
I'm never more aware of my privilege than when I'm traveling. Um, in airports, not only am I rarely ever troubled or pestered at all, but there are times where I know that I will get away with things that someone of color or of particular religions or races would not get away with. Just one example was I went through the airport with a water bottle that a reusable water bottle that had water in it. And I, I put that through the x-ray thing by accident it, because it's not clear. So I forgot that there was water even in it. And I got to the other side and they had flagged me because the x-ray had picked up that there was liquid. And he says to me, he's like, um, you can drink this or you can go back to the end of the line. And I was like, okay. So I just chugged it and drank it. And then he let me go. And that, that would basically never happen. It, there, there are places in that world, in the world where that wouldn't happen anyway, but this just surprised me. This was a developed country that let me get away with that. And even the guy next to me was shocked. The guy next to me was, uh, I think he was either American or Canadian and that would never happen in North America. They would, they wouldn't even allow you to drink it. They would make you go to the end of the line and get rid of it or drink it or whatever first, and then go through the entire process again. This guy just let me through as long as I had drank it, which I did in front of him, he didn't even care. And that would never happen otherwise. And that seems like such a little thing, but I am so hyper aware of my privilege in so many ways, particularly when I'm traveling, because I know that there are people when they're traveling, they never get given more of a hard time than when they're traveling. And I don't take that for granted. Um, but it's something that all of us need to be aware of. You know, I, I, if, for anyone who follows my Instagram stories, you might remember back in the fall, I was cracking jokes about uh, Australian immigration giving me a hard time <laughs> because I had to fly in uh, to have my laptop fixed at the Apple store, but I just flew in for the day and immigration had all kinds of questions for me, but I think it was more out of personal interest than actually you know, being concerned that I was some sort of threat. Um, for more on that, you can check out episode 142 about lessons from crying in an Apple store. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also just very aware that so many other people have to deal with so much. So when I crack jokes about that, it, it's literally just a joke, but I, I, I am never more aware of my privilege than when I'm traveling. And even when I'm being given a semi hard time, I know that there's very little chance of me actually running into a real problem. And there are so many people in the world who cannot say the same. So I really just want to shine a light on that for you to remember the next time you're going through an airport as well. Okay. So what they don't tell you about the digital nomad life, for one thing, it is not all work. I'll, I'll play and no work, <laughs> not even a long shot. Uh, there are constant concerns about internet connections, time zones. I am bring this up again. I, I had a podcast interview at 1am and this was a few weeks back and I regularly book for 5am, sometimes even 4am. And because I'm, I, I don't want to force other people to work on my schedule since I'm the one choosing to be here. So I try to be as accommodating as possible, which is great, but it also really affects my own sleep, which is not great because sleep is super important. And because I, I also 
often feel like I'm trying to constantly catch up with North America due to time zones, I often end up on my phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night because uh, that's when I'm most likely to be awake at the same time as everyone in North America. That's the exact opposite of what I would normally do in Canada. It makes me super anxious and it affects my sleep. Like I know that I don't do as well in life in general when I'm on my phone first thing in the morning or last thing before I go to bed. But when I'm here, simply because of the way the time zones are, are laid out, I feel like I have to be and I have that FOMO, especially with an online business. So that makes it a little bit tricky as well. What I will say is that networking opportunities are amazing in some places, particularly in Bali. Bali is absolutely a hot spot for digital entrepreneurs and people who, who just have really cool or interesting stories or backgrounds. And what I find is that I don't even like the word networking. <laughs> it's, it just, it stresses me out. Even the thought because I'm kind of awkward and I'm an introvert and all those things. I'm like, I hear the word networking. I'm like, Oh God, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. But I find that particularly as an introvert here in Bali, it's like networking without even trying. Like you just, meet someone randomly in a cafe or at the gym and you just start chatting with them in a very basic way and it turns into some super cool story or work opportunity or connection or it's it's kind of still shocking to me how many friends and connections I've made here it, literally without even putting in I feel a, that much effort it's really interesting and people are just very open here and just so many people who have a really fascinating background. Um, I also find that people are much more open to connecting in the first place when they're traveling or in a different location because they're out of their normal everyday routine that most of us get stuck in when, when we're at home in a sort of safe environment with all of our typical habits potentially holding us back. When you're already outside of that comfort zone, it's you're even more likely to open yourself up to opportunities that you would otherwise close yourself off to. So that is part of it. But Bali especially is a, an absolute hotbed for connecting with people in, in a really, really cool way. So I'm super, super grateful for that. And then I wanted to give you just kind of a really quick view for what a typical day in life here in Bali looks like for me right now. So I want to preface this by saying this is hustle season for me right now. So it kind of goes in in cycles and in phases. And when I was here in the fall, I was still hustling, but a little bit more relaxed. There was more social time, uh, more downtime. Right now, that's not really the case. I am in full work mode right now and I'm happy about it. Like I'm, I'm excited about it. So don't mistake me. This isn't like a, you know, I'm dragging my heels like, oh, I have to work again today. I'm, I'm excited and I want to be working a lot right now. So right now I'm getting up, usually between four, somewhere between four to 5.30 a.m. Uh, depends on calls that I have lined up. Um, and then I'll usually work for a couple of hours. Then I go work out. Then I'll have breakfast, either sometimes with friends or I'll kind of have a working breakfast on my own. Um, it, it's interesting to me, it's far more common to see people working on laptops here in almost every single cafe compared to North America where it's, it's usually just coffee shops where you see that. And it's a little bit less socially acceptable to work in restaurants. Whereas here, it's shocking to ever see 
a restaurant where no one has a laptop out. It's very unusual. Um, then, so yeah, workout, breakfast, all that. Then I usually run home to shower and change and I'll either keep working from home, especially if I have uh, recordings or podcasts to make. I obviously need to do that in my own space or I'll either go to a co-working space or another cafe. Um, I'll usually do lunch on my own, but lately once in a while I'll make a, a lunch date with friends. Um, I try to always get, go down to the beach around six for a walk when it's uh, time for sunset and maybe a coconut, something like that. And then I'll do dinner either again, like out with friends or I'll order via something called Gojek. Gojek is like Uber Eats here essentially, or just Uber in general, because they'll also take you places, but they'll deliver all of your food and it's ridiculously cheap. So that, that is ridiculously cheap to have that done. Um, yeah, they'll deliver your food to you, all that type of stuff. So I'll sometimes do that and then keep working from home. And I'll usually try to go to bed at like 9.30, 10 o'clock, usually with a book, but once in a while if my brain feels just fried, I'll turn on some sort of show on my laptop or something. And on the days where I'm up at 4 a.m., for anyone doing the math here on how much or how little sleep you think I'm getting, uh, on the days where I'm up at 4, I usually try to actually schedule in my calendar a nap mid-afternoon when I hit my lowest productivity anyway. So I've just really found that to be helpful because and not everyone is a good napper. I can definitely have a solid nap. Um, but something that I find is that if I'm hitting sort of that lull, and a lot of us hit lulls around, you know, 2, 3, 4 p.m., but everyone has different cycles. For me, that's pretty consistent that I, I just am not super productive in those hours. So rather than try to stare at my laptop and convince myself that I'm working productively when I'm actually getting virtually nothing done, <laughs> I might as well just lie down and have a nap, <laughs> especially if I'm not getting optimal sleep at night because of time zone issues. So if I'm getting less than, you know, seven, seven and a half hours of sleep at night, I kind of need to have a nap, uh, especially because I, I train pretty hard. So I work out five or six days a week right now. And I, I want to make sure that I'm accommodating for that and I'm really taking care of my body. So that's important because otherwise I'm looking at burnout. Um, in terms of other things for fun, other than just, you know, like the more social side of things and, and hanging out with friends and stuff, I'll try to book a massage one, one time per week. Uh, like I said, they're, they're very cost effective here. So something like that is definitely, that's not something I would typically do in Canada, at least not nearly that often, but here it's, it's very reasonable. And I'll also usually go to like a sauna and there's a, a few places here where you can, uh, alternate between saunas and ice plunge pools. And I'll do that several times a week because it also helps with both muscle recovery and sleep. So among other things, uh, stress and stuff like that, but I really like it for that. And it's just a really nice treat kind of breaks up my day and stuff, but this is absolutely hustle season right now for me. So, and, and I, I like it. I'm okay with my schedule right now. I actually am really enjoying it, but I wanted you to kind of understand that it's, it's not me sitting around on a beach. 24 <laughs> seven. That's just not really how it's working right now. Um, but that's, that's going to look different in the fall. There was a little bit more of that, but I was still working the majority of the time. So yeah, you can work from these amazing locations, but I just really wanted to highlight for you that there are issues that come with this and there's things to consider. And it's amazing traveling alone. I actually love it. I, I, and I've traveled alone before, long before this ever happened. I, I tr started traveling alone when I was about 21 and thoroughly enjoyed it. I knew that I wanted to do more of that. So if you've never traveled alone, I hope that this has given you some courage to try and figure out how that might work for you. 
um, and give it a shot. Honestly, it will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. And then just fully considering some of the aspects of a so-called digital nomad lifestyle. I, I don't even like that term to be completely honest, but we'll just, we'll just go with it. Um, <laughs> the digital nomad lifestyle is not always what it appears. And if you see people or if you follow people online who are only ever posting, you know, these beautiful photos and this is how easy my life is and uh, working by the pool again today, that's great for them. But I guarantee you, they're not giving you the full story. I guarantee you that there are other things going on that they're just not sharing with you because they don't want to give you the behind the scenes. They don't want to give you the real life version because they would rather that you think of it as being super glamorous. And I can tell you there is very little that is actually glamorous about it. <laughs> so yeah, the scenery and stuff can look amazing. That does not give you the full view as to what's going on. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this up. This is longer than I intended, but I really felt pulled to do this episode because I get so many questions about this type of thing. And people ask me, you know, what my day looks like. And they seem surprised when I'm up at 4am most days, like taking calls and stuff. And I just, I wanted to highlight what it looks like, not only working while traveling, but working from a more remote place that is such a wildly different time difference, time zone uh, anyway, than most of my people. So yeah, I hope that this has helped. I hope this is giving you some insight. If you have any questions, jump over to Emily Goff Coach. If you have anyone who wants to, that you feel would need to hear this episode, that you think would benefit from it, please, please share it with them. And I would be so appreciative if you could leave a review. Leaving reviews for podcasts absolutely makes a podcaster's day and it really helps to boost things for me. Um, it helps it to get in, in the ears of the people who need to hear it. And it makes uh, 30 seconds of your time to leave a quick review makes far more difference than you can ever imagine. So please leave a review while you're on the podcast app. It means so much to me and I would love to actually personally thank you. So send me a screenshot as well um, when you've left one and then I can thank you in real time and in real life and get to say hi. Okay, thanks so much guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. I'm so incredibly grateful that you took the time because it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so that I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday with brand new episodes, and I am looking forward to growing with you.